0: Well, there was this young man named Mark who was a a good friend of mine. Uh, I knew him quite well when I was in my early to mid-twenties. Mark had lived in the same Christian co-op I lived in uh, during college in Madison, but he was a few years younger than me, so he came in after I had been there a while. And as we got to know each other, he asked me to disciple him, so we actually spent quite a bit of time together uh, during probably my last year or two in Madison. And then after college, I moved to Milwaukee. And uh, when Mark graduated, so did he. And we ended up both being part of the same church in Milwaukee. So, so uh, we got to see each other quite a bit, continued our relationship. And then and one day, Mark mentioned to me that, you know, he had this bulge in his stomach that he, he didn't know what it was. And uh, he thought, you know, it wasn't going away. He thought he must be putting on weight, but that didn't make sense because he was in good shape and he was really active. Uh, didn't seem likely. And then not long after that, on a Sunday, he came to me and he said, "Look at my eyes. He said they're they're yellow. They're jaundiced." And that motivated him to go see a doctor. Well, it turned out Mark had liver cancer, and things went downhill pretty rapidly after that. I remember going to visit him in the hospital. I mean, he was just You know, really faithful Christian, young guy. Uh, He'd been raised in the church. Uh, He had his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, and he's wondering, you know, why did this happen to me? You know, why is this happening? And I felt really useless trying to comfort him. Um, I didn't have any good answers at all. I felt like everything I said to him was pretty much trite. And in reality, I, I mean, I was still dealing with the death of my father. He had died just a year or two earlier, and I was still processing that, and it made it doubly hard to try and comfort Mark, I think. Well, they transferred Mark to uh, university hospitals in Madison, hoping they could do something for him there, and it was a few weeks later that a group of us went to Madison, of his friends, we thought, oh, we'll go visit him, Uh, so we called the hospital that morning to find out what room he was in, and they told us Mark had passed away the previous night. Well, we all have stories like that, right? Family, friends, uh, things we've gone through ourselves. Time when it's really hard to understand why God doesn't do something. Uh, In fact, times when it just seems like God is absent. And then you've got the large-scale tragedies, too. I mean, you've got this horrific war going on in Ukraine. Uh, or tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, tsunamis, earthquakes, things that wipe out hundreds or thousands of people, innocent people, or pandemics, right? Uh, And we wonder, where is God? You know, what's, what's he doing? Doesn't he care? The problem of pain and suffering is a question that's been wrestled with throughout history. Uh, For some people, it is those questions that keep them from believing in God. Uh, Believing in God in the first place. For other people, experiences of pain and and hardship are what lead them to turn away from the faith. I've had friends that, that did that. But some people actually grow in their faith through these experiences. And they become even more fully the people God created them to be. So what makes the difference? Well, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about where is God when it hurts. Now, in three weeks, we can barely scratch the surface of this topic, right? Uh, But I am hoping that I can at least provide maybe a framework for thinking about it and some hope if you're wrestling with any of this right now and and perhaps an ability to, to trust in God's love at a little bit deeper level no matter what. This week, I'm going to be talking from a a theological perspective, uh, asking, you know, why doesn't God do something about all of this suffering? Next week, I'm going to focus on how we can respond in faith rather than lose our faith during difficult times. And then on week three, I want to talk about what I think God is inviting us into uh, in light of all the pain and the suffering in this world. Uh, now, if you'd like to dig into this topic more deeply, especially if, if you're in that place where maybe you're asking these questions for yourself or for your loved ones, I highly recommend a book that I just recently reread. I read it first years and years ago, uh, and I'm going to be drawing from it now and then. Uh, and it's book by the same title. It's "Where Is God When It Hurts," and it's by Philip Yancey, a pretty well-known Christian author. He's a great writer, so. Uh, Very good book. um, Highly recommend it. Um, So, let's pray. So, Lord, um, come now and just minister to all of us by your Holy Spirit. We've all wrestled with these questions at one time or another. um, And we will in the future, too. So, I pray that you would would speak to us, you would work in us, you would work in our minds and in our hearts this morning and uh, draw us closer to you, even as we talk about this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Acts chapter 1, 1 to 3, book of Acts. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Well, those 40 days after the resurrection, this is the time we're in now, just, you know, we're seven days into that after Easter. Those 40 days um, between the resurrection and his ascension to heaven must have been a pretty amazing time. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus then during those days? I mean, to know that Jesus had been dead, and now he was alive again. You know, Jesus had a a real physical body, just like he had before his death, and yet it was different enough that some of his closest friends didn't recognize him some of the time right away. Plus, he could do things like show up in a locked room without opening the door. That had to be cool, don't you think? The disciples' minds must have been reeling, trying to figure out what all of this meant and how it fit into what they thought they already knew. So Jesus, loving them like he did and wanting to equip them for all he knew was going to be coming down the road for them in the days and years ahead, spent those 40 days giving them a crash course in a whole new way to think about the world and themselves and God. Over that period of 40 days, Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Well, I have to believe if that is what Jesus spoke about for those six weeks before he left this world, it must be really important. Now, this was, of course, not the first time that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. All through the Gospels, we read about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom and telling stories about the kingdom. Sometimes the phrase used is the kingdom of God. Sometimes, uh, especially in Matthew's Gospel, it's called the kingdom of heaven. Those aren't two different things, two different kingdoms. Matthew was Jewish, and he wrote to a primarily Jewish audience, and the Jews believed that the word God was too holy to even be spoken. So heaven was a word used as a substitute, uh, which all of those Jewish readers would have understood actually was standing in for the word God in that context. All very interesting, wouldn't you say? But what does it have to do with pain and suffering? So I'm going to read Matthew 6, 7 to 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and uh, he says to them, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Well, whenever tragedy strikes, whether it's at a a personal level, you know, the death of a child or diagnosis of cancer or uh, maybe a marriage falling apart, or or maybe it's a large-scale disaster like poverty or war or natural disasters, the question people ask is how could a loving God let this happen, right? You all heard that question? How could a loving God let this happen? Well, some people answer that question by saying, well, obviously, there is no God. Others decide that if there is a God, he's harsh, he's capricious, he, he uh, lashes out in anger, he's punitive, he's like the, the pagan gods of old. But the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray provides a very different answer. And it's rooted in the whole story of the Bible that's told. It's the story that the Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus defines the kingdom for us in this prayer. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your God's kingdom is not a particular place. It's not a particular organization. You know, it's not just heaven. It's not the church. It's not Israel, past or present. It's not the United States. The kingdom of God is a way of describing what you get anytime and anywhere that God's will is done. When what God wants to have happen actually happens. And we know what that looks like because Jesus showed us. It looks like love. It looks like joy and peace. It looks like the sick being healed. It looks like the lost being found and the broken restored and the outcast being included. It looks like people caring more about each other than themselves. And so as a result, everyone is whole. Everyone has all they need. You know, All through Lent... We talked about this, and we were calling it Shalom, right? The kingdom of Shalom, the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, something I've heard many times over the years when something tragic happens is, uh, well, we, we don't understand it, but it must be God's will. The assumption behind that is that everything that happens must be God's will. Well, according to Jesus, that's not necessarily true. If he tells us to pray that God's will is done, that must be because it's not always done, right? Otherwise, that would be a pointless prayer. See, if we are ever going to think about pain and suffering and talk about pain and suffering, and especially go through pain and suffering ourselves without losing our faith or developing a really warped view of what God is like or becoming cynical, bitter, resentful people. We need to see suffering and pain through the lens of the kingdom of God. Now, we live in such a secular age that it can be hard for us to see the spiritual realities underlying the natural world in which we live. I mean, it's almost embarrassing these days, even in church, to talk about Satan and the kingdom of darkness, right? It's like, isn't that just a myth? But First John tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was born into a world that was enslaved to the chaos of the kingdom of darkness. It was enslaved to fear and sickness and death and poverty and injustice and war with no hope of escape from that chaos. But on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus broke Satan's hold on this world. I mean, yes, he forgave your sins too, but that is just a part of, of something much bigger that was going on. And when Jesus rose from the dead, heaven broke into this world in a way it had never been here before. God's kingdom had come. Even back in those days, the the Jews, or at least many of the Jews, believed in the coming of God's kingdom. They believed that one day God's kingdom of shalom would come to this world and the dead would be raised to new life. And they believed that that would happen at the end of this age, this era in which we live. And then a new age, a new era would begin, the age of the kingdom. And so then they thought once the kingdom came, there would be no more sin, no more sickness, none of that bad stuff, no fear, no death. What no one expected was that God's kingdom would break into this world, not at the end of time, but in the middle of time. No one expected that when God's kingdom would come, only one person would initially rise from the dead. Uh, Just Jesus. And there would still be all this bad stuff still going on in the world. But that's exactly what happened. So we live in what the Bible calls the last days. The last days are all of the time from the resurrection of Jesus to the return of Jesus. Uh, The first church in the book of Acts was living in the last days, and so are we today. So apparently the last days can last a long time, right? (laughs) And during these last days, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdoms of this world, empire, as we were calling it during Lent, is still at work in this world. You know, it's still a broken world, right? So it's still wreaking havoc, uh, as we all well know, in lives all over the place. That's no secret. And at the same time, though, the kingdom of God is here also. And the kingdom of God is coming more and more as we pray for it, as we proclaim it, as we do the works of the kingdom of God, as we love God, love others, period. Amen? Yeah. Now, sometimes the kingdom of God comes in dramatic ways. I have seen firsthand the sick healed. And I've been healed myself as people prayed for me uh, now and then. I've seen marriages I thought were hopeless, absolutely hopeless, restored. And I've known people who were instantly set free from serious addictions. Much of the time, though, I would say most of the time, the kingdom comes frustratingly slowly, yeah? And it seems hidden. It seems almost invisible. But that's just exactly what Jesus said it would be like, right? When he told us that the kingdom is like this little mustard seed that you can hardly see, but it will grow and grow until it fills the whole earth. Or he said it's like yeast in dough that seems invisible, and yet it impacts the whole loaf. All too often, too, it doesn't seem like the kingdom of God comes at all. And it's important that we be honest about that. You know, it's important that we're real, right? We don't pretend here. And we talk about the already not yet of the kingdom of God. It is already here, but it's not yet here completely. We have to live with that tension. And all too often... As a result, God's will is not done on our earth or in our lives as it is in heaven. We experience the pain and the suffering that comes from the brokenness of this world because of the kingdom of darkness. But in answer to that question, God, why don't you do something about it? Jesus says, I did, and I am, and I will. Right? I did, I am, and I will. The kingdom has come, and it is coming, and it will one day fully come. Jesus came into this world and lived and died and rose again to put an end to all of that pain and suffering that comes from the kingdom of darkness. Now, in the mystery of God, that is a slow process but it has begun and it won't stop until all of creation is filled with the shalom of God. Now, I fully realize that that is not a completely satisfying answer when you are, or your loved ones are the ones in the midst of pain and suffering, right? Um, When you're the one going through it, You know, you wonder, how come I'm experiencing the not yet instead of the already, right? That's what we wonder. But hopefully, still, you know, the truth, the tension, the reality will help you have confidence that in the midst of it all, God still loves you. He is not mad at you. He is not lashing out at you in anger. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. God is always at work, often in hidden ways, causing more of his kingdom to come even when we cannot see it. Amen? Yeah. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal." God's kingdom has come, God's kingdom is coming, and God's kingdom will one day fully come. That means that whenever we're faced with pain and suffering in this world, we can remember that God isn't finished yet. God hasn't spoken his final word. And when we wonder about the horrors of war or all the injustice in our world, Remember, God has not yet spoken his final word. You know, when your marriage is in trouble, or your finances are in trouble, your kids are in trouble, or you're suffering in loneliness, God hasn't spoken his final word. You know, even when we face death, we know that God hasn't spoken his final word. God is still at work. He is still speaking life and hope because his kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming. And his kingdom will one day fully come. Amen? Yeah. So God's kingdom comes through his presence, right? It's one of the things the founder of the vineyard uh, drilled into us back when he was alive. From Vineyard Church, the Vineyard USA, John Wember, said the power of the kingdom is in the presence, right? So we don't go after like the power of God. We go after the presence of God. Because God's kingdom comes. Wherever the king is, that's where his kingdom comes. So every week, one of the ways we open ourselves to more of God's presence in us and among us is through sharing the Lord's Supper. That's what we're doing. You know, we come and we share in this meal, and as we come in faith expecting to receive God's presence and his, his grace through the meal, his kingdom comes a little bit more in our lives. Um, So if you're online, I'd encourage you to gather what you need to share with us. Uh, Here I could use four people to come up and serve. Um, That would be wonderful if you would do that.